Hello, welcome back to Out of Our Heads, a pop culture podcast from minds of Joe Bortner and the super cool Nick Protopapis. Uh Nick, just before the show was starting, you were talking to me about the trailer for the new movie, Crudes 2. Let's talk about that. I mean, I, you know, I wasn't so much talking about that trailer as I was updating you on my life and what was important in it. Um, and the Crudes 2 was the forefront of that. So the, tag, oh, okay. the tagline is, the future ain't what it used to be. And the subtitle is A New Age. Um, mm. Wow, I know. Uh, I watched the trailer. It looks, it looks a lot like the first one. Um, I, I can't really say I got excited. I, I barely remember the first one, which is, I guess, everyone. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a while since the crude says has graced the the, the movie theater screen. <laughs> oh no! Um, I actually remember kind of liking it when I saw it, and then never thinking about it again. Um, I mean. Nick, let me let me double check when the cruise came out. You were twelve years old. Oh, I didn't know that. That's very interesting. Do you think they like tested this? Do you think they just had this in development for a long time, or did they test it with audiences? And then like the audiences were like, "Well, we don't really remember the first one, but it made me smile." Um, mm-hmm. And they were like, "Yes, yeah, make a second one." Um, I have no idea. I think this is another side effect of animated movies taking a really long time to make. Um, like, if you look at Frozen 2, I think the first Frozen also came out in, like, 2013. Sure, but we um, remember Frozen. Right, because it was the cultural phenomenon Frozen. Uh, all the little kids <laughs> went to see it. Um, <laughs> all the little kids bought the toys and sang the songs <laughs> and watched the movie. Right. I remember, um, like, hearing this apocryphal story when I was in middle school about how uh, or maybe maybe it was even the first year of high school uh, about how the first Frozen movie uh, had been so successful in theaters that it had lasted from around November, December, the time it came out, like well into May, which was a blatant lie. The kid who like told me that must have been lying, like was definitely lying. Wow. Um, but Thank I believed you. it. Thank you for regaling us with that lie. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> It, it wasn't funny. It, it it was almost informative, but then it turned out to be a lie. And uh, ultimately, it was a lie. So mm-hmm. that was that was really great. Thanks, Joe. Um, any more lies you'd like to tell before we start? No, I mean, I'm a I'm an honest person and I'm just exposing the truth. Oh, you were just you were just reciting the lie. Of course, <laughs> it makes sense. Um, yeah. Do you want to do you want to jump into it? Well, now I'm looking up how long was Frozen in theaters. Well, how long was Frozen in theaters? Um, I'm ripe for your your influence, Joe. I'm trusting you. Anything you say, I will believe you. Um, be careful with this power. Seems to be no immediate way to find this information. All right, let's drop it. <laughs> you could just lie, though. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Nick, do you have a thing for me on this fine day? Uh, I, I suppose I, I do, and I'll go first. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I, have been, I have a little confession, and that is that I've been watching pretty much uh, only Sopranos um, and then begrudgingly watching other things when someone else has control of the TV. Um, mm-hmm. So <laughs> since I already talked about Sopranos last week, I'm going to go into the vault a bit um, and talk about Cars 2, Joe, because oh, okay. as you know, this is a favorite topic of seventh to ninth grade Nick. And 
I'm I'm legendary for my arguments on cards too. Um, and I think I've talked about it a little on the show before, but I'll just I'll just jump into it. Um, sure. Yeah. Cars two is pretty good, man. And I would argue that it's better than Cars One. And don't look up the age I was when Cars Two came out, because they will <laughs> reveal my bias instantly. Um, but here's why everyone rags. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. What? Cars Two. Yeah, I was a little kid. All right, I bought the little toys. What do you want from me? June eighteenth. 2011 just all right look i was normal nick, wa- nick was nine years old ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, joe <laughs> i'm i'm an adult and i'm arguing seriously for this okay 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 yeah joe please some respect anyways cars 2 the thing with cars 2 if you don't remember cars 1 it's about racing and a dickhead who learns how to be better by making friends <laughs> and excuse me <laughs> and he he, he eventually learns that winning isn't everything and helps the, the guy who crashes in the race win the race. And that's the movie. And it stars Lightning McQueen, who's Owen Wilson. Uh, hooray. Um, Cars 2, people hate Cars 2 on the basis that it's totally different from that. Uh, and it's not about racing, really. It's about the sidekick character in the first one, Toe Mater, uh, which is a pun because it sounds like tomato, uh, the idiot tow truck, and how he gets wrapped up in a spy plot. Um, and that's what the second, and you know, I'll give it to them. Like that doesn't make any sense. Um, but this is, there's a lot going on in this movie and here's, here's the things I like about cars too. First, it's so much more fun to be in the cars world when you're not just in the desert and on the highway, I think. Um, cause like cars one is pretty limited in where it goes and cars two is just like, Hey, there's a world of cars. Isn't that kind of funny? Let's go to all the world capitals. And I think it's really funny. And there's a lot of like good visual gags that I enjoy. If you don't like that kind of thing, fine. But like, you know, if you like the first one, that's my point. The second point is that the animation's pretty good for the time and the music's really good. Uh, and then also, it's pretty funny. It's, it's got some funny bits. And like, I get that you don't like watching the idiot like be the main character. But like, it is kind of funny. Um, the third thing I'll say is that, and I'm not sure how this holds up since you revealed how old I was when I watched it. <laughs> It's got a pretty good twist. It's got a it's got a little twist, and it, it like ties in with the racing, and it ties in with the fact that it's a movie about cars. So you can't say they're they're cars for no reason, um, and like, you know what? Like it's it's a pretty fun time, and I've never actually heard a legitimate criticism of it except for this. Oh, it disturbs my image of the world of cars from the first movie. <laughs> and, and to that I say, what are you on, sir? Because cars never made sense. And so just because it gets more detailed later doesn't mean that, you know, it's, what's it going to do? Like, they still don't have arms in the second one. Like, <laughs> no, it doesn't make sense that they have guns. But that's not the point. The point is that it, it's fun and it's about cars. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, people complain about that. But, like, like, whatever, man. There's, like, I think there's a car that flies in this movie. That's pretty silly. But they're spies. It's like James Bond. You know, the cars do silly things. Right. Um, all right, and now I'm going to recount a little line from Cars 2 that I think is pretty funny. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the British spy James Bond guy, he goes, Finn McMissile, British intelligence, which was not a good accent. And then Tomater goes, Tomater, average intelligence. And I think that's funny. Uh-huh. I think that one was in the trailers. That's okay. It's, it's still funny. <laughs> No, yeah, it's perfectly fine. Oh, you, the people editing the trailer thought it was funny too. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's other jokes. I don't know. I haven't seen it in a while, I guess. But 
It's funny, so shut up. It's also, I think it's better than the first one. The first one's kind of boring. First one's boring in the middle. You know what's going to happen. He's just falling in love for some reason. He's a dickhead. Like, you, you know, same old stuff. This one is like, what? Cars have guns? <laughs> and then they shoot each other. And there's, I don't know, it's, it's funny. The Italian race car is funny too. So, so shut up, okay? And uh, that's, that's why I like Cars too. the end. Thank you for uh, for giving such an impassioned uh, pitch on Cars Two to me and also our audience, Nick. Yeah, I uh, I really appreciate it. I'm glad. Yeah. Now, uh, maybe you could return the favor. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is something that I'm also enthusiastic about. Uh, it's wait, wait, a... wait. as enthusiastic oh. about. I don't know if I'm as. <laughs> I will. <laughs> definitely not get as heated about it as you got about cars too all right in the last five minutes okay i'm ready <laughs> okay uh this is a comic that came out this week uh i texted you a bit about it uh it's called marvel's snapshots x-men uh that title is sort of a bunch of marketing jargon uh but what this actually is is it's a cyclops one-shot story um Cyclops Scott Summers uh, from the X-Men <laughs> comic books uh, as oh, a... As a one-shot character. Is that... <laughs> well, he's, uh, he's oh, a teen in, in this one. In a, in a Marvel of... comic? Is, is, that, is it in a Marvel comic? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what this comic is, is basically an origin story for Cyclops. It's a story that we're kind of familiar with uh in in some sense uh the broad details are uh you know he was in a plane with his parents uh and his his brother uh plane went down uh because you know his parents were abducted by aliens but that that's neither here nor there um uh scott and his brother end up in an orphanage uh scott has amnesia he's like in a coma um, his brother gets adopted while he's in that coma. He wakes up and of he's stuck in this, he's stuck in this orphanage with amnesia and, um, you know, he's just living a really rotten life. Um, and so this comic coming to us from Jay Edidin, Tom Riley, and Chris O'Halloran is the colorist, uh, is I think a really good encapsulation of that period of this character's life this character that i'm very passionate about uh so let uh, let me let me pitch you this as someone who is not a diehard cyclops fan um it is a really well told like little accessible chunk of narrative uh from this character's life um it focuses a lot on what I think makes him relatable. You know, th this comic focuses on Scott's life as a teenager, um, sort of at the, the the dawn of Marvel superheroes becoming a thing. So there's a lot of focus on the Fantastic Four, and we get a lot of emphasis on that as people that he can look up to as this kid who, like, doesn't have a family um, and is sort of isolated a lot. Um, there's this great... Uh, so, so something I want to emphasize is that the art is fantastic. Uh, I think you would really like it. Um, it just does a, a great job of conveying like the atmosphere of this kid's life. It's one of the things that they do with the coloring is like it's all monochrome, 
until like Scott walks in on like all the other kids of the orphanage, like watching this TV station. And it's like the, the, the fantastic four have shown up and like suddenly the, the page is like full four color. Um, and that's just like a really impactful thing. And you have like the, this, uh, along the bottom, there's like this series of panels of like Scott, uh, and the panel is like, uh, or, or the, the quote unquote camera is zooming closer and closer, uh, as sort of, he's entering this new reality for like his life. Um, and that's just super cool. Um, I think what I find most charming about this book is that it sort of functions as like an, an indie comic that is set in the Marvel universe. Um, it's a lot more low stakes. There's not really any action. Uh, I mean, like there sort of is, but that's not the focus at all when there is, it's, it's sidelined sort of in a way. Um, it's all, you know, I, I think just a, a really solid uh, character piece for this uh, for this boy that I like a lot. <laughs> yeah, that sounds really cool. I, I saw some of the art you sent me, and it is very like friendly. I guess you could, you know, like it's yeah. It's um, there's also a scene where uh, it, near the end he he gets in trouble, um, and and his life is sort of falling apart, um, and that happens while he had just left the library. Um, and so he's running away from the orphanage, uh, and he's like, oh no, everybody will think I'm a monster. This is terrible. My life as I knew it is over. Then he looks down and he says, and I stole a library book. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's kind of a really good encapsulation of Scott for me. That's cute. That's like the part in Up that I just, I I love Up so much now, uh, where Mm -hmm. she... They're little kids, and she's like, I ripped this page out of the library book. <laughs> and he's like, oh, geez. Oh, it's pretty good. Yeah, that's not... Uh, Wait, I have a question. I have an X-Men question. Yeah. X-Men, X-Men. Yes, yes, yes. This might be a little off track, but um, I once read something where it was like all the original X-Men in high school, and Scott was like... Oh, uh, Bobby was like shivering in class, Scott was doing something else and Beast was like a football player who killed someone or something. What did I read? Oh geez. Um I'm I'm sort of like trying to think of like alternate takes on that on that period. Yeah, I think it was. Um like, and I think more movies I think what you're describing is I, I'm I'm like ninety percent sure that's a book called X Men Children of the Atom. Mm, that sounds um, familiar. But if I read that, I read it, like, many years ago, and I don't have, like, a clear memory of it. But I know that's, like, a book that that has Beast being a football player is, like, a semi-prominent thing. Joe, you have hit bingo. That is absolutely oh, yeah? correct. Here, I found the cover when I looked up those words. Nice. <laughs> that is what I read by Joe Casey, I guess. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay, yeah. Your, um, your powers never cease to amaze me. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm sorry if that was like somewhat nonsensical ramblings on this on this comic. I like a lot. I normally take detailed notes on these things, and I figured that uh, I was just so enthusiastic about this book that I could sell it on that alone. Uh, but that may have failed me. Um, but I do hope that you and uh, other people who are listening check it out because I think it's a really, really a quite accessible version of like that character's origin story, and I think it encapsulates really well like what I think makes him interesting and cool. Yeah. All right. Shall we 
go to our main topic? Uh, please, let's do it. All right, this week we're talking about Bone again, the final three bits of Bone, uh, where we left off, the Bone Cousins just almost allowed the bad guy to sacrifice Phony and or Thorn to release the evil Lord of the Locusts. Um, <laughs> and now everything is exploding. Um, Joe, back to you. Uh, yeah, we've we've hit a crisis point in the valley. I'm sorry, I was trying to do like sort of the, the Cora announcer guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There. Uh, I'm gonna stop that now. Um, <laughs> crisis. I, I... <laughs> Boy. Um, so what we have here is the 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 final three volumes of Bone. Uh, it's a lot more somber version of Bone. Um, a lot of it happens in the fallout of Volume Six, uh, where sort of the Valley has gone into to full full on war, um, and everything's in chaos. Um, and yeah. I thought we could just we could just start off in terms of talking points on volume seven. All right. Sounds good. Because I think, I, I, I think that even though I do really like the next two volumes, this one was for me, like the standout one. Okay. Uh, yeah. Volume seven starts and it's kind of like they come out of a cave that they escaped through and everything's just desolate. And that's such a big, like every time I read it, I'm like, Whoa. Cause like, like mm-hmm. every, like the whole Valley is just like ash and you just like get this two page spread of pretty much nothing. And it's, it's pretty oh, good. I mean, so I, I do want to touch on that. Um, something that happens chronologically before that, I think it's like the first scene we get, and I think is so important to setting the tone. All right, go ahead, go ahead. Is uh, in the prologue of uh, Ghost Circle, Volume 7. Uh, Jonathan, who's like this minor character from the first six volumes, he's like this villager. He like dies. <laughs> yeah. And he dies in a really sort of not significant way. Yeah, and he was, he was in an attack in the last book or whatever. He was helping, and yeah, and I think like even his maybe the part where he got injured was shown off panel. Yeah, or yeah. it wasn't shown on panel. I think that's true. Um, and I guess the interesting thing about this is it's just like you know this this however long five page scene of 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 Ted the bug, uh, like going up to Jonathan, uh, and Jonathan is like it, he goes from 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 one crisis to another uh because at first he thinks that 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 lucius has has betrayed uh him and all the other villagers um and uh ted assures them that this is wrong um and so then jonathan basically dies believing that like he's betrayed lucius (laughs) yeah ted does his best to console him but that that is the the sort of like cold open of the this kind of era i guess um and it is yeah it's 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 pretty powerful it's it's good yeah and i mean i I guess so the main thing i want to talk about with with um with ghost circles um is like yeah there there are a bunch of standout moments of like amazing cartooning uh some some really like neat character work for a kid's book um but i think the most interesting thing about it is that 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 Smith is like making this, this book or at least this chunk of bone like that, that isn't always like really about grief, but there's like this palpable sense that the book is grieving. 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. You, you, you get this feeling because the whole book is sort of set in their journey along this like, like desolate ash, like I was talking about, and it, you, you sort of feel stuck in it too. And this, this constant sense of like dread. You're, you know, you're trying to get out of it. You're trying to look at something more colorful, and you can't. Yeah, there's like these scenes where like they they'll, you know, go go to they'll they'll set up a camp. Um, and they're they're underneath the the ash cloud, so it's pitch black, um, and they have no idea what time of day it is. Um, like like Thorn will say good morning to Phonebone, and he'll just be like, "What? <laughs> What's going on?" Yeah, um, yeah, you definitely get a, a good like mood going on in this one. Um, there's they're sort of just planning out what they're going to do next, and they're trying to get south to the capital city. But you, you, I think that, you know, a good thing to mention is that in all of this, you still get a lot of the, the good, goofy, sort of cartoony character moments that you like a lot. Like, mm-hmm. I think there's a, there's a little bit of of um, this book, the seventh one, where uh, at least in the graphic novels, they called to the chapter. Um, like it was a, a chapter was called this where they would just zap each other, use static to, to zap each other while they're walking along. Um, right. And that comes back. <laughs> Yeah, so there's um, there's there's good little like funny moments still, or like you know Smiley's bathing and he's always naked, but he tells Phone Bone not to come up because he's naked. Quotes, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's still like the funny little characters. The stakes are just higher, and the environment is sort of against them. Yeah, I don't know. There, there's so much of the experience of reading just that volume was just very quietly heartbreaking for me and I, I i really didn't expect that going in like i remembered it as a as a as a darker chapter of bone but i, I was just like consistently put through the ringer yeah yeah it, it's 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 really good and i think it really comes across in color um more than the the black and white ones because everything's just gray um yeah yeah um, um <laughs> there is you know like you said, there are many great jokes in that volume. Still. Yeah, probably the best thing that happens is that Bartleby returns. and uh, Yes, yes, he, and he talks. Now he can talk, which is just so good every time, every time. Um, yeah, uh, the line that I'm thinking of and will probably think of for a long, long time is, uh, you know, Phonebone is, is looking at a gorge um, and he says, how deep is the gorge supposed to be? Uh, and I think it's Thorn. And she says, bottomless. And he goes, bottomless. I didn't know you could really do that. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's a good moment. I, I think it's grandma, but it, it's even better. Yeah, yeah. She says something at first, like, ah, it's not as deep as the legends say. And he goes, how <laughs> deep do the legends say they are? And then she goes, bottomless. It's a, it's a really funny moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you, you sort of get out of the book and it's exactly that. You know, you, you, you're sort of out of the, the you're, you have hope for the, the greener pastures of tomorrow just like they do on their their journey um, yeah even if like one of the there's still like the the dragon graves but we don't know that's what they are when we see them which is like pretty interesting yeah uh like the the final page of, of volume seven uh we we have like them heading out into the fields uh towards the kingdom and they're like the these stones in the in the foreground and we find out in volume eight that like the villagers have set those up as graves for the dragons <laughs> I thought they were prayer stones or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, something like that. Yeah. 
Um, anyways, I'm I'm I was very happy with Volume Seven, and and all of the, I think these three are probably definitely my favorite. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, my my estimation of them has has grown a lot. Yeah, on this reread. I I was kind of going in and I was worried about the plot stuff being a little too basic, I guess, or uninteresting. Um, which is it's it's probably you know less developed than something that was only a fantasy would be. Um, but it's pretty intricate, and I like the way that parts of it come up again, um, and the way that I, sort of the the whole like fantasy plot unfolds in the end. I actually had less of a problem with than I remember. It was it was pretty good, and the the tension escalates to war, and then you have the war plus the heroes separating to you know find the ex machina solution. It, it's good. It's it's a really it really works for me, especially like. I don't know, I think I think on this read I got some of the sort of seeds, the clues for, you know, what was going to save the day in the end earlier. Like I I like that this sort of the crown of horns, the, the magic thing that's going to save him is is from what I understood what Thorn has been looking at in all those dreams. Mhm. Uh, I think that's a good clue that was, you know, that was way back. And I was in the first one or the second one. Uh, yeah. And so I, I definitely respect it more for that this time around. So they get to the city in volume eight. Um, <laughs> Thorny's up to his old schemes. He's trying to find treasure. Um, whereas everyone else is sort of worried about the incoming ghost circles that are death void things um, mm-hmm. surrounding the city and the army's coming. It's a big problem, but Phony's just doing his old thing and Smiley's mainly concerned with Bartleby. And yeah, I think that's a good way to keep the characters consistent. But you know, by the end of it, show that they've grown at least a little. Um, Phony sort of ends up on the same beat where he's not going to leave his his cousins for for good. He's not he's not more concerned about money than his cousins. But uh, I think there's a little little growth for everyone. Uh, yeah, I think I think Phony definitely has like a smidge of growth. Uh, you know, he he is I, a soldier at yeah. the end. I, I think um, yeah, I think the, the the beat that I like actually is the one where. He before before any schemes or anything, he's trying to get Phonebone to promise to come with him next time he can. Um, yeah, I think that's what really hit it home for me is that you know before he was even planning anything, he just wants he wants Phonebone to come home with him. Um, and I think that was really interesting because you can see that you know Phonebone's a little um, you know distracted by the, the the bigger things going on in the valley. Mm-hmm. And there's also you know there's a point where Phonebone is definitely being nearsighted because. Uh, you know, the events of this will probably end the entire world. Yeah. If they go badly. Which just adds to the comedy in a way. I don't know. I, I really like <laughs> the way that all of this stuff escalates and you're sort of more worried about what Phony's up to, especially when the battle breaks out at the walls. And mm-hmm. you're like, what is Phony? Like Phony's getting into a fight or something? Like like that makes it feel, um, you know, more serious. But at the same time, like it, it's still the same gag as in like the third and fourth book. So you you don't really lose anything, even though you're you're escalating. Um, I really I really enjoy that aspect of these books. Um, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, to make like a a, a sharp uh, shift into just like something totally random that I appreciate, <laughs> Grandma Ben has some great action beats <laughs> in this story. Um, you know, there's a part where she like picks up a totem pole and like clubs a guy with it. Uh, <laughs> She like kicks a guy off a rampart. <laughs> yeah, cartoon violence. Grandma Ben is strong. Yeah, great shit. <laughs> yeah, super cool. 
Uh, I don't know. Whenever I saw that stuff, I was like, yeah, man, Grandma Ben. No, it's good. Some of the action is really good in this, like uh, the scythe slicing stuff with the brayer, the the hooded one. Uh, That's pretty cool. Um, Yeah, and when it gets more action, like Thorn versus King Duck is like super cool. Like he's got the tooth in her thigh, like she's stabbing him. Like that's, I'll never forget stuff like that. Um, I think something that like Jeff Smith really gets to take advantage of here just because he's not really working with a page count in like any extent. Like he was the one deciding how long his books were going to be like, he could just make scenes as long as he wanted them to be. Um, and so, so that really helps in like the big climax of, of drawing out the tension. Yeah. Um, there are like some genuine, really good. I got to turn the page to see what happens next moments. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I really, I really like the. I, not, I guess we're getting kind of spoilery, but whatever. Like the one where Thorn is just like <laughs> running at the army. Like, how cool is that? I, oh yeah, so cool. And then like the way she like jumps up and starts flying. You're like, what is going on? Um, but it's like it's it. You just really get the motion and like I don't. I, yeah, it's so good. Um, that one, that one actually interests me because I think it probably reads way better in color than it reads in black and white. That's true. Yeah, because there there's more of a contrast. I imagine between like thorn in the ground yeah um you're right i think i think the color really comes up here Um, yeah yeah and it's definitely i think improved drastically yeah and also jeff smith is doing a lot more like especially in volume nine just like extra work i was gonna say in volume nine you can really tell that he cares (laughs) like from from the start volume nine he's like all right we're serious now and like the panel count changes like everything's bigger and like it's really cool to see um the 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 cross hatching on phone phones sometimes is out of control yeah (laughs) it's good yeah um and then looking back like especially when you get to the location like the dragon you know what do you call it the the darren guard Uh, the final climax scene with with phone and and uh and thorn i I was thinking about it i just just wanted to say that i really like a lot of locations in these books um and Mm -hmm. i they're just kind of unforgettable and like the art really puts them together um and I, yeah, I, which is kind of interesting because, like, in some ways, they're really plain. Like, you know, there's not too much about about. Um, I think it's Darren Guard. <laughs> we might be totally. Like, yeah, that's not like, it's kind of just like a hole. Um, like, it's just a big cave. But then they got uh, these bridges, like, and like it's orange. See, what I think makes them memorable is that you know I think Smith really commits to having like memorable scenes happen in them okay maybe maybe like you know with uh with volume five Rockjaw, like i don't know if there's anything like besides the the the, the i don't know if there's all too much that's visually interesting about uh, what about uh, the mountain caves temple caves sir well yeah but yeah you're right you you, you get what i'm getting at i know like, I like we spend a lot of time in these locations i didn't want to sit here being completely happens, wrong so. oh yeah yeah no you're right um and there's definitely a steepness to that Darren guard. And then the flooding, mm-hmm. it's cool. It's just, everything's so cool. Um, the dragons come back in this final show. Like, like everything kind of comes together. And I, I just, there's death. Like, there's some real death. Like, good job, everyone. Like, oh, yeah. This blood. I mean, so, I mean, that's the thing. Is that, like, um, you know, if, if actually, I'll, I'll, I'll get into that later. Um, I don't know. Something, something impressive to me about uh this like final big sequence uh is that he does something really difficult which is there's like a, a slow motion thing <laughs> oh with phone one yeah i think it's cool 
It zooms out I think and it zooms like in. Incredibly cool. Yeah, and then it goes in his brain. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah, I, I really, I really, really like it. Yeah, um, and there's also like I don't know. I just I'm looking at these pages now of Phonebone touching the the, the crown of horns. Some of the best. Um, pages, yeah. yeah, and it, it's like not only it's it's beautiful. Um, <laughs> The, the line of drool that's coming out of one of the rat creatures. But it's also funny, yeah. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah. That the um, rat creatures are funny. right above him and they're trying to get him. Like, it's, it's, it's both, which is, like, kind of what Bone's all about. Yeah, but it's also... It's also impactful because you have the, this bit where, where Bone is sort of, of looking at the light um, and Thorn shows up and she says, we can't go that way. And he asks, why not? And she says, because if we do, then we can't come back. Um, and I guess that sort of leads into what I, I was going to say earlier, which like, that seems like really minimal, but it, 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 it's kind of like, I don't know, a thesis statement for like this chunk of bone. Um, because if it's going to be a book about war suddenly, then it's a book about death. <laughs> um, which I think it very much is, uh, especially with volume seven. Um, and I just think like moments like that are really quietly powerful in a good way. And and I, I don't want to like overstate that. I don't want to make it sound like, Oh, bone is like this, uh, you know, deep story that has infinite amounts of, of knowledge on, on the human condition. Um, Cause I'm not really saying that, but I, I like bone is an adventure story first and foremost, but I think it's also an adventure story that especially in like these later parts is thinking a lot about mortality. Nice. That's a, I like that. Thank I you. I never thought about it like that. I think the, yeah. Well, it's like that. Little moments like that, sort of the pacing comes together really well, especially in the last book. Um, I don't think there's ever a dull moment, and I don't think that ever anything kind of goes through its climax and doesn't feel right. Like it's it's very, it's very well paced. Especially, I want to I'm going to give props for like the last few chapters, are just yeah. like epilogue-y. But like it works because you know it's over. I don't know. Like it, those feel very like a return to the first few books where you're just kind of hanging out at the farm, um, and they have like a little little thing where he makes up with the rat creatures and like that, that that somehow all works because the emotional sort of beat where Phonebone is going to go home happens right at the end. So you kind of get the mm-hmm. the the Lord of the Ringsy you know climax and then well actually I shouldn't say that because Lord of the Rings doesn't have a good climax. Um, but you know, the, the epic fantasy climax, and then you have this sort of emotional thing for phone bone later. Um, so I think it, it all works very, very well. Yeah. I mean, um, forgive me. I might be confusing the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Yeah. One of those two has the big ending where like the characters all go home and slowly say goodbye to one another. Right. Well, the thing in Lord of the Rings is that, uh, like they destroy the ring and then there's like a bunch more chapters where they go home and fight the like right the, the mini boss okay so that's yeah. that's different than this yeah it's okay sorry it's been like you know i was 12 when i read lord of the rings so i don't know i was good 12 when i watched frozen or what was it <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah I, I yeah <laughs> we said yeah a lot uh the ending is really really good it's it's so funny and it, it wraps up with the beginning book to the point where like you're like, yeah, I love this book from the first book, and it just got better, um, and that's what it reminded me of because it, it does a reference mm-hmm. to like one of the first jokes in the whole series, and you're like, yeah, these have been these are, this has been a good time, 
and I'm back where I was, but I'm so much better because I had this beautiful journey that is bone. Yeah, there, there's um, I like can't really like put make a make a big poetic statement about like why I like the ending of Bone. Uh, I don't really have anything interesting to say about it. Um, I, I, I like that we get to say goodbye to all these characters, and it, it strikes like all the right emotional chords for me. Um, you know, I, I, I think it, it, there's a like a tremendous amount of confidence on Jeff Smith's part to like know that he probably like is, is, you know, you know, he's pressing the nostalgia button big, like so much. Um, and I think that there's a lot of confidence in like pressing that button without it seeming like overzealous, but I think like bone is so good that like, of course you, you, you get the impact of that, you know? Yeah. I think it's, it's a very wholesome and satisfying ending. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to do the thing we do every week? Um, I think we should. Um, I think we're about done with Bone on this podcast. Yeah. Except for maybe not, because there's all those extra books, but we'll see. Yeah. I think we might do a wrap-up segment some other time. Some other time. Uh, yeah, but um, it's been uh, good. Thank you, thank you for joining us yeah. on this uh, Bone this journey. journey. Bone is Bone Adventure. Yeah. All right. <laughs> What's the, okay, thing we do? What's the thing we do every week, Joe? Uh, this week, Nick, in a sharp tone shift mm. from sentimental to uh, incredible, uh, we're doing the, the, the Kindle showdown. So, Nick, we all know about Amazon's ubiquitous e-reader, <laughs> but has anyone ever endeavored to rank every model of the Kindle released from 2008 to present in one concrete list. Uh, no, uh, the first one was was the was just called Kindle. If I'm not well, Nick, that's what we're doing today. Okay, I'm only going off the ones that are listed on the Wikipedia page. Okay, um, you know, if it's not on the main Kindle Wikipedia page, it, it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, that means the Kindle Fire won't be on here because um, you know it's that's a glorified tablet. iPad, yeah. and we don't not respect real those Kindle. On this we don't we don't write not our Kindle on this podcast. Okay. Fire. Let's talk let's talk about the first Kindle. Okay. Uh it was released in 2007. Mm. Uh it sold out in five and a half hours. Mm. Uh it cost four hundred bucks. He's <laughs> going at the bottom of the list. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It probably doesn't even have a little pull out light, does it? Probably not. Probably uh, not. Okay, moving on. <laughs> then we have the the second generation of Kindles. Yeah. Um uh, you know, Kindle two. Um <laughs> Is that what it's called? Yeah, that's fine. Uh, this was released in two thousand nine. Does it have a um, lamp? I I don't I don't think it does. Um, it looks <laughs> about as crappy as the first Kindle. Does it have it all has, like, the alphabet on its buttons. Mm-hmm. It has that keyboard. Mm. Um, it's white. Uh, it's it white. Has, it has two gigabytes of internal memory, <laughs> which I guess might be a lot for books. I don't. I don't know. That doesn't sound like a lot. That doesn't sound big enough for me. Yeah, um, Stephen King released an exclusive novella on this. Uh, uh, okay. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm just not interested by this. I, I might even put it, know, put it below. Yeah, below yeah. white. That's disgusting. So I guess I guess that means that our current list is 
you know, the Kindle and then Kindle 2. <laughs> then there's the Kindle DX. What is that? It's just bigger, and it supports PDF files. You know, I guess it has to go above Kindle 2. I guess. Um, Does it go above Kindle 1? No way. All right. You can't just make something bigger and, like, win me all the way over fine. to the top of the list. I'm pretty happy, but that's fine. Does it have a pull-out lamp? No. Then it's garbage. What are we even doing here? Is it white or something? Uh, yep, still white. That's, wow, even put it lower. Uh, Nick, then we have the, the, the Kindle DX Graphite. Uh, this was in 2010. Um, the DXG, uh, which I guess is the, the official name of this, um, it had a display with 50% better contrast. Joe. Uh, <laughs> Joe. Yeah. I'm on the Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> and this is not funny anymore because there's like 20 of these. <laughs> I, I can't see the end, Joe. The end is not in sight. Kindle Oasis? What? Kindle Voyage? I, don't... I mean, I mean, Nick, Nick, Nick. Yeah, Nick. yeah. Because this is something we do every week, we can just come back to it next week. Okay, all right. Okay, so the current state of the list. Let me let me read this out to you. Okay. The I I, I guess it's the Kindle. <laughs> the Kindle DX. Yeah. The Kindle 2. Yeah. Um, and we have not currently rang- ranked the Kindle DX graphic. <laughs> I think that's worst. Worst. <laughs> worst is that. Okay. It sounds like a DS and it's got too many words. It's probably still white. Okay. Based on the... Um, it's actually black. Uh, based oh. on the... You know, higher. And, uh, it's oh, first. higher? First. Maybe it's first. First. Okay. Kindle that. DX graphite number one. Uh, based on the the official inarguable rules of our Kindle ranking system, Kindle. Uh, this is what we have determined. Thank you and good night. So that was really funny. <laughs> oh, I really enjoyed that. Thank you, Joe. Mm-hmm. All right, I have a, I have a good quote. It's a good one. This one is from our friend Freud. Oh, are you ready? I don't know if he's my friend. Oh, okay. Guy had some pretty weird ideas. He's also very important, Joe. Yeah, that's true. He's probably responsible for like at least twenty percent of how you think of people. Okay. <laughs> All right. One day, in retrospect, the years of struggle will strike you as the most beautiful. Thank you for listening to Out of Our Heads, a pop culture podcast from the minds of Joe Bortner and Nick Protopapis. You can contact us at outofourheadspod at gmail dot com. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Joby underscore draws. You can read my webcomic Aeronaut at jobydraws.com. Uh, as always, Nick has nothing to promote save for wisdom. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, you can rate and review us on iTunes. It would help us out. Uh, the, the offer is still running. If we get $15 in the tip jar, we will sing a song on the show. Uh, stay safe and see you next time. <laughs>